Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome to the Feathered Desert. This podcast is actually one that makes me giggle, but I really hope everybody likes it. This one is titled, Thank the Pigeons, and it's all about the things we should thank pigeons for. Now, we know that many of you dislike the pigeon, some of you hate the pigeon, (laughs) and Cheryl and I also do wrestle with acceptance of the pigeon, but they've been living alongside us for centuries, and we thought it was about time we gave them some applause. So the birds that we will be talking about specifically in Thank the Pigeons is the feral rock pigeon, aka highway pigeon also known as rock doves, city pigeons, those big birds that drive people crazy. Those are the ones that we will be talking about specifically here. So Cheryl is going to start us off with our first thing that we can thank pigeons for. All right, so first we can thank the pigeon for feeding us. Well, this this gave me a little bit of upset stomach, because <laughs> it's not how I think of the pigeon. But since the beginning of humankind, we've been eating pigeons. Scientists have found... 67,000-year-old bones in a cave in Gibraltar with cut marks and burn scorches indicating that they, these bones came from food that were prepared for consumption by Neanderthals, a.k.a. the food was a pigeon. Yes. 12,000 years ago, peoples in the Fertile Crescent of the Middle East built permanent settlements for themselves, which attracted the attention of the wild pigeons nearby. I have trouble thinking of pigeons as wild. Well, I know. So um, that's a whole new... Um, a different illust- way to think yes, of them. Yes, illustration yes. in my head. The pigeon came to eat, and the, seed, the seeds of the grains, the peoples grew, and then the peoples began eating the pigeons. They built pigeon homes and began to breed them for desirable traits, leading to the beginning of pigeon domestication. Ancient Egyptians and uh, Samaritan... Sumerians. Sumerians were also eating and raising pigeons in the early third millennium BCE. Well, that sounds like old. Yeah. (laughs) Now, many of you might be grossed out, yes, by eating (laughs) pigeons, but it used to be a very popular meat uh, bird, even here in the United States. Early Native Americans relied on the native passenger pigeons as a meat bird. The Seneca people's word for the pigeon, passenger pigeon, excuse me, meant big bread. Huh, that's kind of cute. Yeah. That would fit. (laughs) But even closer to our own time, people have been eating pigeons. The term for cooked pigeon is squab and can still be found on the menu at many expensive restaurants. So I have a question before you start. Yes. So, was a pigeon domesticated before chickens, do you think? I or along don't with chickens. Know. That is a or very good question. those that had pigeons didn't have chickens or vice versa. I think it's more that way because chickens came from jungle fowl. So jungle does imply that they didn't live in the desert. So as we know, Egypt is a little bit more of a deserty area. Yes, they have the Fertile Crescent. But I don't know if they had jungle fowl there at the same time. And of course, we can't go back and ask the Neanderthals. <laughs> No, but, but I, I don't know. It could be very similar timeline or 
I don't know. That's Isn't a very that good question. interesting that we could be domesticating, we as humans are domesticating two different birds. At In two different uh, yeah. places on the planet, places, yeah. yeah. Maybe. And then one we still um, covet, yes. chicken, and the other one now we dislike. <laughs> yes, that is a very good point. <laughs> Except um, in Europe, I know. So yeah, in Europe they have a slightly it. different, when it comes to the racing pigeons and national pigeons, they have a different perspective than we do. All right, so Kirsten has our next topic of thanks. Yes, this one is a difficult one, and it is about poop. There's the poop. Yes, we can thank pigeons for poop. It is an... <laughs> I know. I had to laugh at this one when I wrote this one. Because, of course, everybody's like, well, but they're pooping everywhere. They're on my car. They're pooping on everything. But it's an excellent form of fertilizer. And having them around the crops when we they first came in led people to investigate why the crops were growing more successfully. Because they were coming in and they were eating the seed. And, well, birds poop everywhere. They don't have a specific place to poo. They don't mind pooping wherever they happen to be. And they were pooping in the soil next to the crops. So the crops became more successful. The high content of nitrogen in the bird's poop is actually ex excellent for encouraging crop growth. This led us to understand that by offering this nitrogen, this fertilizer to our plants, we could get better crop yields. So thank you for helping us yes. do mass amounts of plant growth. <laughs> it is also a traditional component in leather making. So those of you who enjoy your leather coats and your leather purses, actually it started off using pigeon poo. So what happens is that you steep the animal hide in fermented feces. I can't imagine how that smells because the feces itself before it ferments smells pretty bad. But what that does is it helps soften the hide and then it allows it to be manipulated into different forms. And the ammonia that's in the poo also helps soften the hide, which allows it to absorb dye. So thank you, pigeons, for yes. some nice leather jackets. Pigeon poop is also an important source of saltpeter, which is one of the three ingredients of gunpowder. Oh, my goodness. This one, this one threw me for a loop. I didn't know this. With the invention of the gun, saltpeter became a very desirable compound. And in early England, armed guards were actually hired to protect the dovecotes, which were the buildings, the little, um, like, hutches that people would build to house their pigeons. And generally, it was the elite. The rich people had them. And they hired armed guards to protect the dovecotes so that people wouldn't come in and steal the poo. Yes, they're <laughs> regarding poo. So, and one of the things that historians believe is that having access to this saltpeter may have actually helped the English win wars. Oh my goodness. So, the pigeon and I were uh, in our. The way so, we interact with them? Yes, yeah. it's so intertwined. It really is. Yeah. Right. All right, so we'll number have three. To give our gratitude. Out yes, to gratitude the, out to, to the, the pigeons. pigeons. Thank you so much. So, so, number three is religion and spirituality. Our early relationship with pigeons wasn't just about eating them, we actually worshiped them. We admired them for their peacefulness, their loyalty to their mates, and their ability to make lots and lots of babies. I still kind of admire them for the bird they are. Yes. They were symbols of of goddesses of many of the early religions, including Mesopotamian and Canaanite goddesses, as well as the Greek goddess, is it Aphrodite? Aphrodite, yep. Modern religions such as Christianity, Judaism, and Hinduism also mention pigeons and doves throughout their holy texts. 
I know the Bible mentions pigeons a lot. Yes, and that's one of the things, too. Pigeon Some people are going to say, oh, yeah. they mentioned doves, but... They're the same thing. They're the same thing, yes. exactly. Pigeon and dove literally comes from just two different languages that developed a word for a pigeon-type bird at the same time. So when Noah released the two doves, yep. he actually released two white pigeons. Yes. Huh. Yeah. I mean, Pretty we can't cool. really go back and ask Noah, but no. <laughs> we can imply, <laughs> yes... So they literally are the same thing. Doves and pigeons are, are the same thing. They're in the exact same family. So we've tended to just the ones that we like, especially in Christian societies, since the Bible says dove, those are the ones that we tend to revere more. We like the doves. Whereas something that's called a pigeon, we don't like it so much. Yes, but getting on to, um, getting back to that, that along those lines... The original um, transcripts, now I'm not any expert, could say could have said Noah released pigeons. Yeah. And through translation, mm-hmm. we've changed it to dove. Changed it to dove instead yeah. of pigeon. Absolutely. Yeah. We'd have to ask a historian about that. Yes. It's That's a good question. Yes. All right. So number four is our modern understanding of species and breeds. So Charles Darwin, who many of you will recognize his name, is extremely influential in our understanding of the natural history of animal behavior. He actually kept pigeons as pets. It was very popular back then. He kept a variety of breeds of pigeons that all looked different from each other. Because at this point in the 1800s, we had taken pigeons and bred them for different qualities. So fluffier feathers, longer necks, longer legs, different colors, that kind of stuff. So he actually kept a variety of them. And at the time, in the mid-1800s, around 1850 or so, many naturalists actually believed that each pigeon breed was a separate species, which means they descended from different birds. Others believed they were all descended from the rock pigeon, which is Columbia Livia, which is the one that was out in the wild originally that the Egyptians and Sumerians uh, brought into domestication. Um... And they believed that everybody came from Columbia Livia, and their differences could be attributed to breeding instead of descending from different individual birds. So Charles Darwin truly enjoyed his pigeons, and he spent much time admiring them. And as he did, he began to notice similarities between the birds despite their physical differences. So they ate the same things, they treated their mates the same, they raised their chicks the same, and they nested and roosted the same. So these behaviors led him to believe that they descended from the same species of bird, and not that they were individual species in and of themselves. Why is this important? It became the foundation of his book, The Origin of Species, which in turn influenced the modern understanding of natural selection. How awesome is that? I know. Look what we've got in our parking lot. Such history and importance. It is. It's amazing. (laughs) We sure don't appreciate them. We don't. Those poor guys. All right. So communication. Very, excuse me, very early pigeon keepers noticed how great pigeons were at navigating home. The Romans relied on them to deliver updates on wartime activities and spread the results of chariot races. Pigeons even delivered the results of the 776 BCE Olympics. I can't even imagine how long ago that was. <laughs> it was a while back. <laughs> In the uh, 12th century, Genghis Khan set up a communication network across Asia using pigeons to deliver messages. In the Franco-Persian... Prussian. W- Prussian, excuse me. Prussian War, Paris was cut off from the world and turned to pigeons to get information in and out of the city. 
Before the telegraph became widely and easily used, the pigeon and their amazingly accurate navigation helped us communicate. In 1850, a German businessman, Paul Julius Ruter, I believe it's Ruter, yes, identified a 76-mile gap in the telegraph lines between Brussels, Belgium, and Aachen, Aachen. Aachen? Uh, Germany, that bogged down the transfer of information, and Ruter knew just how to deal with this gap. Pigeons. This just is so interesting. How does it work? You train the pigeon to return to its roost by taking a few, taking it a few feet away and releasing it. Then you increase the amount of distance you want a, you want it to travel a little bit at a time. You've got yourself a messenger. The pigeon instinctually wants to go home to its roost. The only problem is that the pigeon only goes one way. So to get a return message, you have to use another pigeon that has a roost on the other side. In other words, in the words of Mary Moscow? Rosemary Moscow. Yeah, Rosemary Moscow. Pigeons were the original internet. That is so true. Yep. They were the ones that were spreading all that information around the world before we had something like uh, the telegraph. Yes. I find it interesting, though, my husband and I are big Olympics fans, and we get, like, the results instantly, right there on the TV. Well, you have to wait, like, months. For a pigeon to Before a pigeon to come by and say, you won! What? That did I! Or, you know, like, your little portion of the world where somebody came from. That's, I just find that kind of amusing. But super interesting. Yes. (laughs) Well, because pigeons don't necessarily go directly back to a roost. Sometimes they can get distracted. Yeah, most of the time they will. But yeah, sometimes if you're hungry or if it's a long way to go or if you get blown um, off course a little bit by a storm. But they're usually pretty good. They're usually pretty spot on. Okay, so number six is saving lives. We have a lot to thank during World War I and World War II to pigeons. Pigeons during this time were actually an integral part of saving soldiers' lives. Cher Ami is one of the most famous pigeon war heroes from World War I. In 1918, the 77th Division of the U.S. Army, also known as the Lost Battalion, for you history buffs out there, became trapped behind enemy lines in France, and they came under fire from friendly forces. The radio was down, and if they couldn't get word out about their location, they were not going to survive. Thankfully, they had messenger pigeons with them. The first one released was killed, but Cher Ami was next. And this is a he-she instance. I've seen different stories. One refers to Cher Ami as a male. One refers to Cher Ami as a female. So we don't really know. I don't think Cher Ami ever laid an egg, so we don't know for sure. <laughs> um, but Cher Ami was the next one to fly, so he flew like the wind. But on the way through the fighting, he was actually shot in the breast and he lost a leg. Oh my gosh, the yes. poor pigeon. But Cherami did not stop, and he flew straight to his roost and delivered the message. He later died of his wounds, but his message saved 194 soldiers that day. Cherami was actually honored with the French Medal of Honor for his heroic service and was returned to the United States. And if you have a desire to see Cherami today, you can actually go to the Smithsonian National Museum of American History, and Cherami has been preserved and you can say thank you oh my gosh that's just a tribute to the instinctual drive it really is home. i mean he lost a leg yeah i mean Maybe. i tell you if i'm flying somewhere and i lose a leg i'm probably gonna be like oh, that's it i'm done <laughs> but he lost a leg and he was shot in the breast i mean he yeah. just kept trucking so in world war ii gi joe 
I don't know if that's where we got the name. Pigeon was named first or the soldier? Probably thinking the soldier, but anyways. This pigeon certainly deserved it. G.I. Joe delivered the message that British forces had liberated an Italian town ahead of schedule. American forces were scheduled to bomb the town, and if they didn't get word to the U.S. forces, the town and the British soldiers would perish. So the pigeon, G.I. Joe, was deployed and saved the lives of more than 1,000 soldiers and civilians that day. In 1942, another messenger pigeon called Winky saved the lives of a downed Royal Air Force bomber. The plane went down in the North Sea and all radio communication was unavailable. They did, however, have Winky with them, which I find interesting that they actually had a pigeon on a bomber. But thank goodness they did. They released their bird and she flew straight home 120 miles to her roost. The owner alerted the British military and they were able to determine the location of the plane by using Winky's arrival time and the wind direction. The soldiers were rescued successfully. Then in World War II, we have a couple of other ones we want to mention. The pigeons named Mary of Exeter and Patty were also used during World War II to transport valuable information across enemy lines that helped allied forces make important decisions. So these were our little spy pigeons. And despite shrapnel, gunshots, and hungry raptors, Mary never failed a mission. And while Patty clocked the fastest pigeon flight during the Normandy invasion, flying 230 miles in just four hours and 50 minutes. Oh my gosh, he was speedy. He was speedy. They should have named him Speedy, not Patty. Yeah, he really wanted to get home. Yes, but uh, he was, he was named Patty because he was an Irish, Irish um, passenger, or um, messenger pigeon. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we still have pigeons tucked away somewhere and we're still working with yeah. them. Yeah. I know that there are people that do it in New York City, um, and they'll fly them from buildings to buildings. It's more of a hobby kind of now, but to tell you the truth, I mean, why not? No one's going to notice a pigeon. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if militarily it's not something they have on the back burner somewhere. Yeah, I I mean, I would. It's a pigeon. Like No one's going to notice a pigeon. No one's going to care. We're going to surmise now with conspiracy theories on (laughs) pigeons, but yeah. I mean, look at how successful they are. It makes sense. Even they can literally the, fit in anywhere, in any place the in the world. technology we have, yep. you know, sometimes, you know, the old, the old is good. Yep. So we're going to go to understanding genetics, and this is, like, really important. It's just right, right there, um, 2022. Scientists are always trying to further their understanding of genetics, and pigeons are helping them out. Feral pigeons we see in our cities around the world are descendants of rock pigeons, as Kirsten said, from Asia and Europe. And one of the most interesting things about our feral pigeons in the city is their variety of color and patterns. But their ancestors and current wild rock pigeons, again, I have a weird picture in my head, are all black, excuse me, blue, black and gray colored. Scientists ask why, and in a nutshell, it has to do with dominant and recessive genes and how they are expressed in an individual when they are combined. Now, scientists have known about dominant and recessive genes for a long time, but the variety they see in pigeon colors and patterns is helping them understand the details of how they work. 
Another way this particular characteristic of pigeons is helping humans is by getting kids involved in science and nature. This I thought was really interesting. Is it still going on? Because as you looked it up, it seems like it's still I believe going on. it still is. I did not look. I found this great article about it. And honestly, I, I intended to look it up and see if they're still doing it now. Um, so I'm not 100% sure. But we can always go to Cornell University's Lab of Ornithology and they will... 100% tell you if it's still yeah, up and running. I, I, I imagine that it's still going on. Maybe it's inclusive with their urban. Um, yeah. They've covered more birds in it. But in 1996, a program called Project Pigeon Watch was started by Cornell University Lab of Ornithology. This program enlists, chil- enlists children living in cities to get outside and do some bird watching. These kids observe their local city pigeons and report about what colors and patterns they see. The children participating in this program learn note-taking skills, develop keen observation skills, practice mathematics and writing skills, and learn more about the process of science. It also instills a sense of wonder and respect for the natural world around them, even in a city. I think that's an awesome program. Uh, Yeah, it sounds super fun to me. Yeah. So sticking with science, onward science pigeons. We can also thank pigeons for helping us prove the Big Bang Theory. This one I thought was really interesting. In 1964, Robert Wilson and Arno Penzas were listening to outer space, and they heard radio signals. So first, they weren't really sure what they heard, and they wanted to make sure that their equipment wasn't faulty, something was out there making these radiation radio signals that they were hearing. They didn't, they didn't want to you know, reach out and say, hey, we, yeah. we, we have it without knowing what it is. So they did their due diligence and they checked out the equipment to make sure everything was in, was working properly. They actually replaced a few worn pieces and they went back to listening. But they did notice while they were doing this, that there were some pigeons that were roosting above the antennas that they were using. And they suddenly thought, oh my gosh, maybe we're hearing radiation from the pigeon poop. Well, we want to make sure that that's not happening. So they had the birds trapped and removed and then they cleaned up the area. Then they went back to listening and they heard the same noises before. So with a bit more time, they actually figured out what they were hearing was the cosmic microwave background noise left by the event of the Big Bang Theory. They are, sorry, the event of the Big Bang. So they actually won a Nobel Peace Prize for the discovery. Wow. And they kind of have some pigeons to thank for that. Because they wouldn't have really gone up and cleaned up and done as much cleaning as, as they needed to. To make sure that someone doesn't come back later and say, oh, well, look at all the dirt and stuff around your antenna. That's what you're hearing. And so thank you, pigeons, well, for pooping. Yeah, because the <laughs> pigeons caused, uh, created the situation that caused them to be more thorough yep. and to make sure they had all their ducks in a row, huh? Exactly, ducks, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, cool. Yes, and this one is interesting. This goes along with just what you were saying about uh, sometimes old is best. Currently, British scientists are using pigeons to help gather information about climate change. They strap little backpacks onto the messenger pigeons and they fly them around different parts of cities gathering data that allows them to study changing microclimates within a city. So right now I can hear all of you technological listeners asking, well, why not just use a drone? That's a very good question. In many cities throughout the world, drones are not allowed in certain places due to dangerous interference with things such as flying planes, personal privacy issues, and many more reasons. But pigeons can go anywhere. That is so awesome, and no yeah. one would think about a pigeon sitting on the right. ledge. I know I would be offended if there was a drone over my backyard right. or something like but that. Right, but I would be like, oh, the pigeon. And it would be interesting to see a pigeon wearing a little backpack. Then yeah. you might be like, what's going on? 
on. And then you find out more and it kind of draws you into the science as well. So yeah, sometimes old is, is best. That is cool. Yes. So we do have a lot of things to thank pigeons for. And these just touched on a few things. So Cheryl and I hope that through what you've learned in this podcast, next time you see a pigeon, you won't just see a pest that raises your blood pressure, but you'll see an animal that has lived side by side with humans since the beginning of time and has given us the best of themselves. Yeah. I guess I'll like my pigeons in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. 